Good morning. We are grateful that you're here on a holiday weekend. Thank you for being here. If you're visiting, we invite you back. We're so grateful for the opportunity to be together. I know that we're getting at that point in time in the year when people are coming and going. A lot of folks are going to be taking vacations, and so we want to remember them in our prayers. And if you're going to be taking a vacation very soon, please be careful in your travels. We look forward to seeing you back again. And so we're grateful for the opportunity to come together to study, to sing, to remember the Lord's Supper or the death of our Lord through that memorial feast. And so we're grateful for every opportunity that we have as God's people. I want to direct your attention today to the passage that was read a moment ago by Noah. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 8, and that will be our lesson text today. And the title of our lesson today, Why Should We Pray for National Leaders? Why Should We Pray for Our Nation's Leaders? I think that's a critical question, a question that probably many folks have. Why should we as God's people spend time praying for those who possess political power? Well, I want to begin by, first of all, reminding all of us that there are three divine institutions that we read about in Scripture. The first, as you well know, is the home. The second would be the civil government. And you remember in Romans chapter 13, Paul wrote in chapter 13, verse 1, Let every soul be subject to the governing powers, for there is no power except from God, and the powers that be are ordained or appointed by God. And so God has originated for our benefit not just the home, but also the civil government. And then that third institution would be the church. Now, I, like many of you, have been blessed to be a partaker of all three of these institutions. I'm grateful for the opportunity to enjoy family life. Many of us, we've been blessed richly by our biological family members. And then, I'm blessed to live in this country, and even though America has many, many flaws, we're not a perfect nation. We are not a theocracy as Israel of old was. But with all of our blemishes and all of our faults, I still believe America is the greatest place to live on planet Earth. I'm grateful to be a citizen in this country. And I'm also extremely grateful to be a member of the body of Christ, the church that Jesus built, that He bought with His blood, and that ultimately belongs to Him, and one day He will save forevermore in heaven above. And so, that being said, let's just talk for a minute or two about why we should pray for our nation's leaders. And I want to begin by first and foremost calling attention to the requirement, the request to pray. Now Paul, if you remember in 1 Timothy chapter 2, said, I will therefore first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Now let's just maybe hit the pause button for a minute and talk about what Paul said here. Note if you would, Paul in writing to Timothy, his own son in the faith, said first of all, in other words, what Paul is saying is this is top priority. I want you to give precedence or I want you to give priority to, would be a better way to say it, to praying. And he's going to tell us who we're to pray for. 
and set forth some of the parameters of our prayer life. Let's just think for a minute or two about the command. What Paul is saying here is, number one, that it is a privilege to pray as a righteous person, something that we ought not take for granted. Down in verse 8, Paul, of course, is talking about the worship service. And so he would say, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And in verse 8, emphasis is given to the male leading in public prayer. But in verse 1, when Paul said, I will therefore that men pray for kings and all that are in authority, he's talking about the human family as a whole. We all have the responsibility, the privilege, if you please, of praying to God the Father, don't we? I mean, that's a unique privilege. It is a spiritual blessing. You remember Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. And so what Paul is reminding us of is as a righteous person, as a child of God, we have the privilege to pray for mankind and for specifically government leaders. But then what about the power of prayer? Paul writes, I will therefore, first of all, that we offer up supplications, prayers, intercessions, the giving of thanks for all men. Why do you think Paul is stressing to Timothy the importance of prayer? Because God understands something about the power of prayer, doesn't He? So when we go before the throne of God and we invoke His blessings on behalf of other people, is God listening or not? He's listening, isn't He? And what was it James said in chapter 5, verse 16? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Go back and look at the prayer life of Jesus. Jesus armed Himself daily with prayer. Why? Because He understood the privilege and the power associated with prayer. And that would have to do with His human nature, the human side of Jesus. So, First, the command, but then secondly, the challenges. What are the challenges of prayer? Well, first, in verse 1, Paul tells us about the people that we're to be praying for, the specific people. Now, he said, first of all, we're to offer up supplications, prayers, intercessions, the giving of thanks for all men. That would be inclusive of everyone. Those who are in the church, out of the church. But then he said, for kings and all who are in authority. Now I want you to think about something for a minute. When Paul wrote to Timothy, the time was about AD 61, 62, somewhere in that vicinity. Who was on the throne? What empire was controlling the world at that time? The Roman Empire. And so when you look at the Roman Empire in the first century, what do you see historians saying about that empire? Was it a righteous empire? A godly empire? Was Nero Caesar, was he a good man? A man of character and principle? A man that had tremendous, a tremendous value system in his life? Absolutely not. He was a vile, cruel, ruthless leader. And I think it's interesting that Paul, in writing to Timothy, tells Timothy to pray for the very man that will ultimately 
take his life. Now let that sink in for a minute. Paul said, I want you to pray for kings and all who are in authority. Do you find it challenging sometimes to pray for our nation's leaders? When you look at our nation and those who are in power, and you see ungodly, unprincipled individuals who are welding power in this country, is it difficult for you to get down on your knees and pray for them? Let me tell you what the answer is. Yes, it is. It's hard. When you look at the character of some of the people that are in office in our country, it is deplorable. It is a shame and disgrace that some people occupy offices of power in our country. But Paul said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for those people. Well, why do you think God wanted His people to pray for Caesar and those who were in power in the Roman Empire? There's a reason for that. So when we get down on our knees and we pray to God on behalf of our nation's leaders to understand there is a reason behind the request. There is a reason behind the requirement. So first we have the people that we're to pray for and then the particulars of our prayers. He begins by identifying supplications. And that word carries with it the idea of someone who is indigent, who has great needs. Now, you remember in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer invokes us to draw boldly before the throne of God. Why? That we might receive grace and find mercy to help in time of need. In this day and time, do we have intrinsic needs? Yes, we do. Do we have needs in this country? Well, again, the answer would be yes. And so we're going before the throne of God, invoking His favor, His blessings, because of our great needs. And then, not only are we to offer intercession, or rather, not only are we to offer supplications, but the Bible says prayer is a generic term. And then it says intercessions. That is, we go, be, we go, behalf, we go on behalf of others, before the throne of God, don't we? And we go before the throne of God on behalf of other people because we want God's favor in their lives. Now, let's move from that and think secondly about the reason for praying. I said a minute ago that God had a purpose in asking those in the first century who belonged to the family of God to pray for those who were in authoritative positions. So what about that? Well, as we look at our lesson text, you remember the Apostle Paul tells us that there is a divine reason behind praying to Almighty God. So let's just talk about the blessings of a peaceful life. Paul would write in verse 2 that we might live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence or dignity. So, 
What God is saying to us is we ought to pray for those who are in power so that we might enjoy the blessings of peace. Aren't you grateful to live in a nation like ours wherein we enjoy secular freedom? Aren't you thankful for the freedoms that have been bestowed on us in this land? That we have the opportunity to worship God in spirit and truth. We don't have to worry about outside forces dictating our worship and corporate Bible study. That's a blessing. Now, I would grant that some of the blessings that we enjoy, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press, that those very freedoms that have been an intricate part of our society are quickly eroding. And we need to understand that. That there are forces at work who are doing everything within their power to diminish the base of freedom that we enjoy in this country. So that's one of the reasons we need to pray. Pray that God will continue to bless us with secular freedom to enjoy the blessings of society. And if you go back and look at Romans chapter 13, Paul there sets before us what we might call a composite sketch of the government. He talks about the origination of the government, the ordination, if you please, of the government, the obligation of the government, and our obligation to the government. For example, down in verse 7, Paul said, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. That's our obligation. We have the responsibility of submitting to the government. Now, we need to qualify that. If mankind, if our judicial system, or if our legislative body sets in order certain laws that are contradictory to the law of God, then what? Well, Peter said it well, didn't he? We ought to obey God rather than man. So we have a responsibility to be submissive to the governing authorities of this land insofar as the laws that are part of the fabric of our nation coincide with the will of God. But if those laws are contradictory, then by all means we defer and obey Almighty God. Now Paul would say that those who resist the authority resist the authority of God and bring judgment on themselves. That's found in Romans 13, verse 2. He said, Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. So the purpose behind the civil government is to provide for us a haven of peace and safety so that we might enjoy the blessings of the land. That's God's design. So, as we think about what Paul is saying here, first, there is secular freedom, but then secondly, spiritual freedom. Paul said, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. One of the great blessings of living in this country is that the Word of God has flourished in many respects, hasn't it?
There have been a lot of folks that have been led to Christ and become New Testament Christians because of the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. And Paul there emphasizes the great blessings that come to a nation wherein the gospel is able to be proclaimed or taught. So that's a blessing that we enjoy. So we enjoy secular freedom, but also spiritual freedom. What was it Jesus said, John 8, verse 32? You shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. And Jesus said in John 8, verse 36, if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. So in Christ, we enjoy freedom. Now there's another thought here. And that is the blessings of a protected life. I mentioned a moment ago that one of the purposes of the civil government is to provide safety or protection to her citizens. It may be the case that we haven't done such a good job in that regard in this country in the last few years. But to realize that the government is intended to be a blessing. The purpose of the civil government outlined again by Paul. But what about the problems with the government? If you go back and read something about the Roman Empire, you can see why that empire failed. Because they eroded not from without, but from within. They began to crumble. And the moral fiber of that nation was such that they later fell. So when you look at our nation today, what do you see? Go back and look at Hosea chapter 4 for a minute. Hosea chapter 4, Hosea begins by saying, Hear the word of the Lord. Wouldn't it be great if people in our nation today, our national leaders, would listen attentively to the word of the Lord? Didn't Isaiah say, Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read? There are blessings that come upon people individually and nationally when they hear what God has to say and put those words into action. So, Hosea is writing to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom would eventually go into Assyrian captivity in about 722, 721 B.C. And he said, the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. In other words, God was bringing an indictment against His own people. And the reason was, he said, there's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Now you ask the question, how could that have happened? In Romans chapter 3, the Bible says that the nation of Israel, that they were the recipients of the oracles of God. They had God's Word. They had every reason to live for Him, didn't they? There, were no, there, were no, there should have been no misunderstanding about what God wanted from them. Down in verse 6, Hosea would say, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So when you talk about people that divest themselves from the Word of God, divorce themselves, if you please, from God's Word, what happens? Anarchy. So in verse 2, Hosea said, There is swearing, lying, killing, stealing, committing adultery. He said, With bloodshed after bloodshed, they break all restraint. Have you not read something about that in this area lately? 
about people having difficulty telling the truth? Are there not people in our nation today that would just as soon tell a lie as the truth, and the truth would serve them better? But they don't know how to tell the truth. You know, there was a day and time in America when people, by and large, would stand behind their word, wouldn't they? Go back and look at the history of our nation and see how many business transactions took place with merely the shake of a hand. And now what do you have to do? You have to, you got to have an army of, you got to have an army of litigators so that every I is dotted and every T is crossed because we're afraid that somebody's going to beat us out of something. So we've lost something, we've lost something that is inherently important in a nation, that is being truthful. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. So He said, there is swearing and lying, and then He said, there is killing. Bloodshed after bloodshed. When's the last time you read something about people being killed in America? This past week. What took place, well, just for example, in Texas. The precious children who were killed. Listen, our nation is off track. And we've got folks in our country that have no problem whatsoever taking the life of another human being, young or old. They just don't care. Whatever happened to the sanctity of human life? And let me tell you what, you know, we, we, we talk about problems that we have in this nation. Did you know that some 61, 62 million babies have been aborted in this nation since 1973? That's a lot of innocent blood. And by the way, God's Word still reads that He hates the hands of those who shed innocent blood. That is a fact. That's not just my sentiments. That's not just my feelings. That is a fact. And let me tell you what, when we have people in Washington that are doing everything they can to keep abortion on the books, shame on them. Sir or ma'am. You are out of line. Remember what Hosea said over in chapter 14? The ways of the Lord is right. We're not suffering in this country because we're following God's Word. We are suffering because we have said we don't need God's Word. That's the problem. The problems and the ills of our nation can be traced back to a lack of respect for the integrity of Scripture. And we got some folks in our nation. They have no use for God. They have no use for His Word. And let me tell you what, there is a payday coming someday. I can assure you that. I don't care if you are a king, a queen, a president, a vice president, a senator, or a congressperson. Sir or ma'am, you will stand before the judge of all the earth and give an account of the deeds done in the body according to what you've done, whether good or bad. As Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1, He is the ruler over the kings of the earth. There's somebody sitting on a throne in heaven. 
That somebody is the sovereign ruler of our universe. And let me tell you what, He will hold us accountable, whether we like it or not. And we can go through the pretenses and motions of being quote-unquote aligned with the will of God, but if we're not following His Word, we're going to pay a heavy price. Hosea talked about the ills of his day. Let me tell you what, they are reflected in cities, not just in America, but around the globe, all over our world. So, over in chapter 8, Hosea in the long ago said, They have sown to the wind. They will reap the whirlwind. Paul said it like this, Be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Paul here, is say, Paul here is saying that you can't sow bad seed and expect a good harvest. So, got to make sure we're sowing the right kind of seed, don't we? Isn't that critical? Sure it is. Now, in verse 12, I want you to listen to verse 12 in Hosea chapter 8. Hosea, on behalf of God, I have written to you the great things of my law. He said, but you counted them as a strange thing. You know, there are people in our world, in our nation today, that are so out of touch with the Word of God that when you bring up a Bible subject and you say, you know, this is what God said, their response is, well, that's a strange thing. Never heard that before. Listen, if our Supreme Court if they had genuinely respected God's Word, they would never, never sanctioned abortion in 1973. They would never have opened the door in this country to same-sex marriage. I can assure you that. And really the tap root of it all, go back and look at Matthew chapter 19. When the people of our Lord's day, came to Him and they wanted to know, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Remember what Jesus said? Jesus answered that question with a question. Have you not read? That's the problem right there. People haven't read. They don't know. He said, have you not read? He that made them at the beginning, that's God, made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife. They too shall become one flesh. Wherefore, there are no more two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Now that's what God in heaven said. That's not something that I originated. And God in heaven said, one man, one woman for life. Not two men, not two women, but one man, one woman for life. So who's right? That's exactly right. Hosea said, the ways of the Lord are right. God's right. We may not give Him credit for being right, but He's right. Whatever God says ultimately is the divine standard. Now, think about this for a minute. God is our creator, isn't He? Since God is our creator, does He have the right to determine how we live and function in society? Yes or no? Yes, He does. Why? Because He's our creator. So, what we're talking about, real life problems. And so, when Paul wrote to Timothy in the long ago, and said, Timothy, I want you, I want, God, I want God's people to spend time to give top priority 
to praying for those who were in leadership positions. Well, why? So that you might lead a peaceable life. So that you might enjoy the blessings that I've intended for you to enjoy. Now, there's a third thing I want to share with you. It has to do with the results of prayer. Now, there is a divine requirement, a request. There is a reason behind what Paul said here. But then what about the results? Well, number one, we ought to be praying to God for our nation's leaders that first and foremost, we can exalt the Savior who is on His throne. Do you think God has an answer to sin? Do you think God has an answer to society? The answer to those questions is yes, yes, He does. Paul said God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So what Paul is saying here is that the results of praying for those who are in government positions is that we might have the freedom, the opportunity to exalt the Savior to a lost and dying world. Jesus is the answer to the sinfulness of man, isn't He? Wasn't He God's answer? Go back and look at the Old Testament. Look at the New Testament. The Old Testament pointing to the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to save people who were lost and dying in sin. And so, He is not only the answer to sin, but He is the answer to society. Now I want you to think about something for a minute. If you have the opportunity to stand this week before our President, Vice President, Congress, Senate, etc., government leaders, whether it be national, state, local leaders, whatever, would you have a remedy for the ills of our nation? Here it is right here. This is it. Wouldn't you like the opportunity to just go and stand before some of these people and say, you know what, this is what the Bible said. Look, as I said a minute ago, we're not suffering in this country because we're following the Word of God. We're facing lots of troubles, and those troubles are mounting in this country because we have closed our ears to the truth of Almighty God. We think we know better than God. We have this idea, we don't need God. We don't need His Word. Well, how's that working out? Not very well. And so it goes back to understanding that the principles and precepts that are in this book are intended to bless our lives. So, society as a whole. Our society is messed up, mixed up, confused. We've got a lot of problems, and yet here's the answer right here. This is it. 
I could stand before Congress or Senate and I could read these words. The question would be this, would they listen? And would they honor what God has said? The Lord has spoken. So it's really up to us to decide whether or not we're going to integrate what He has said into our lives. Or are we going to weave that into our lives? Look at our homes. Hosea talked about those who commit adultery. And we're living in a day and time when people today have, disregard, have disregarded what the Bible has to say about sexual relations. And so you look at the home. The reason our country's in trouble is because the home's in trouble. So it's got to be a grassroots effort. We've got to get back and get the home right. If we get the home right, then everything else will fall into line. But we've got to understand the importance of what Paul said, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Why would someone take a gun and go to an elementary school and shoot precious, innocent children? Listen, there's something not right up here. When we dismiss God from the equation, problems always occur. It's the truth. Now, first there is the exaltation of, of the Savior. Secondly, there is the evangelization of sinners. What's God interested in? Saving people, isn't He? What's God's will? That all men be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's a correlation between the will of God and the Word of God. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. So if we can exalt Christ in this nation... As Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's the hope of our nation? It's got to be Christ. What's the hope for getting this nation back on track or any nation where it needs to be? It's God's Word. That's it. And so when we preach and teach the truth of Almighty God and lead people to Christ, what does that do? Changes the landscape of a nation, doesn't it? How do we do that? One soul at a time. So what Paul is saying here is we ought to be praying for those who are in authoritative positions. Pray for our nation's leaders. Paul lived in a day and time, as I said a minute ago, it was a very vile, corrupt, ungodly national power. And Paul asked Timothy and brethren in the first century to pray for the very one who would later have his head. So we ought to pray. We may not appreciate those who are in leadership positions. We may not agree with them. And I would say that most of us don't agree with what those who are in charge are saying and doing. So how do we change that? We've got to go back and start praying and then preaching the Word. The Bible says that when the Apostle Paul went to the city of Athens... His spirit was stirred within him. In other words, he was exasperated. He burned with anger. Why? Because the city was given over to idolatry. What did Paul do? What was, what was the remedy he had? To preach the nature of the one true living God. That's the remedy today. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, to understand God's interested in you, God wants you to be saved. God wants you to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth will set you free. 
So if you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess His name, or immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, God will put you in the church. You can be numbered among the redeemed and listen. You can begin immediately trying to make a difference in this country, in this city, this state, in the world. If you're here today and maybe your life's not what it ought to be, you're not faithful to God and you need the prayers of the church, could we pray with you and for you, knowing that God will abundantly pardon? Won't you come as we stand and sing?